Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 6 today in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Love this. One of the Larson girls made a bookmark for me for my Bible. It says, I heard of a story on it. <laughs> Isn't that good? Caption. It's a perfect caption. And it was when I had a beard, too, so it's extra cool. You can see that, Dave? Kind of? Yeah. Um, a bookmark for my Bible. Heard of a story of a Christian lady who had a neighbor. And this neighbor was an atheist guy who would hear this old lady pray every single day. And he thought to himself, she sure is crazy praying all the time like that. Doesn't she know there isn't a God? Many times she was praying, he would go out to her house and harass her saying, lady, why do you pray all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she kept on praying. One day she ran out of groceries and as usual, she was praying to the Lord, explaining her situation and thanking him for what he was going to do. And as usual, the atheist heard her praying and thought to himself, huh, I'll fix her. He went to the grocery store and bought a whole bunch of groceries and took them to her house and dropped them off on the front porch and rang the doorbell and then hid himself in the bushes to see what she would do. When she opened the door and saw the groceries, she began praising the Lord with all of her heart, jumping and singing and shouting and praising the Lord. The atheist then jumped out of the bushes and said, told you, crazy old lady, God didn't buy those groceries. I bought them for you. There is no God, see? Well, she broke out and started running down the street, shouting and praising the Lord even louder. Once she stopped, he asked her what her problem was. She said, I knew the Lord would provide for me, but I didn't know he was going to make the devil pay for it. <laughs> oh, I love it. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is How to Pray. How to Pray. We have so many different religions, so many different styles of prayer and meditation going on today. And the crazy thing is, is that um, because there is so many different ways of doing this, on your knees, taking a walk, meditation, clearing one's mind, emptying oneself of everything, and talking or thinking of nothing... It's very interesting. We have people going up on the tops of mountains to speak with monks, be prayed for or blessed. We have people walking into confessionals and talking to priests, asking for a blessing. We have people getting water sprinkled on them. We have people taking spiritual journeys to Mecca, to holy places. And then we have Jesus walking off into the wilderness and talking with his father. So many different religions, so many different ways to clear the mind, to clear the heart, to pray. So how are we to pray? Jesus goes after this today and actually breaks it down for us. We are in Matthew chapter 6 in our Bibles, and we are going to read verses 17, I'm sorry, 7 to 15. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7, Jesus tells us how to pray. Take a look. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We honor you here today. And Father, we ask you to reveal your truth to us once again. Open our eyes. Help us to see your word, what you're ministering. Help us to be changed by it. Teach us to pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Jesus had already warned us of how not to pray. Things not to do, which we talked about last week. We are not to pray to be seen, remember? Not to pray to be seen. Just talk to your Father. We are to pray to God alone. We're not praying to other people. We're not praying to saints. We are praying to God alone. We're not praying to be heard. We're not praying for props. We're praying to God. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. The highest activity of the human soul is to commune with God, to pray to your creator, to talk to your king, to spend time with your father. Because we were made to be with God in a relationship with him, walking with him on the earth, enjoying life and enjoying our God. Lloyd-Jones went on to say, there is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Did you hear that? That's such an awesome truth. Everything we do in the Christian life seems to be easier than prayer. How do I know? Because it's what we do the least. We love to go out of our way to help somebody or do some type of works, and we could do it all day, serving in all kinds of different ways. I will preach here for 40 to 50 minutes, no problem. But 40 to 50 minutes in prayer? That's another question. It's not easy to get in solitude before Almighty God and spend time in prayer for that long. Do you remember Peter there in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus? Jesus was broken. He was overwhelmed. He was about to drink down the wrath of God. He's about to go to the cross. And he said, Peter, Peter, why are you guys falling asleep? Can't you just pray with me one hour as if it was no big deal? Can't you just do an hour? Can't you just pray with me for an hour? Praying alone to God does reveal who we are and how deep our relationship is. Think about it. How is it that we have so much to say to God when we pray in front of other people, but we have a hard time staying focused before God by ourselves, having very little to say when we are alone praying to the Lord? Very interesting. We can go on and on and on in our prayers as long as they're in front of other people. But as soon as we get alone with him, all of a sudden, our prayers shorten up real quick, huh? About 47 seconds. They seem to be very particular. They always have to do with our needs. And they always have to do with emergency. God help me! Please! The amount of time spent alone with God in prayer is telling of the depth of our relationship with him. Let me say it again. The amount of time spent alone with God in prayer is telling of the depth of our relationship with him. Watch this. How do you define the depth of your relationship with someone here on earth? Well, interesting. It is compared to how much time you have spent with that person and how much you, time you have gotten to know them. How much you understand them. How do we get to know somebody? We spend time with them. We talk with them. And the depth of that relationship grows. Interesting. The same is true with God. The depth of our relationship is determined by how much time we spend with him. A prayerless church, and a prayerless church member is a hindrance he is in the body like a rotting bone or a decaying tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locus which devours the strength of the church. 
The saddest thing that could be happening here is that all of us are coming to church to seek God, but then we walk away from this place, none of us seek him at all. None of us spend time with him at all. That would be an exterior shell that has no substance. That would be decaying bones from the inside. You can't tell, but those bones are very brittle. And when pressure is applied, they will snap. It is locusts eating away the fruit of a field. Slowly eating away the fruit that God wants to produce in this church. The most powerful thing that could ever happen to this church is that we would be a people of prayer, a people who know our God. I know this. If you go home today and you spend time with God by yourself building that relationship, he will do the work in you. I am completely secure in that, that God will manifest beautiful things in you regardless of what I am ultimately doing. We have seen beautiful, powerful Christians come out of even terrible churches. How do we know that? Because they go and seek God in prayer and in his word, and they end up discovering this is not a good church, and they find themselves finding good fellowship and relationship somewhere else. Jesus spent lots of time praying alone. We talked about this last week. Mark 135, one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite obscure verses that no one references very often. Mark 135, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place and there he prayed. I love this picture. Jesus goes to sleep at night. He wakes up in the morning about 4.35 a.m. It's still dark out. All of his disciples are still sleeping. The sun is about to crack on the horizon. It's still dark, though. He gets up, and he sneaks away by himself, goes to a desolate, solitary place, and there he prays. He seeks his father. The disciples wake up, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Lord, they go looking for him. Who knows, maybe he walked off into the wilderness by himself, spending time alone with his father. Once again, they find him out there in the field. I could see Peter and John running up to him. Lord, what are you doing? We got to go get lunch. Don't you want some breakfast? Want to do brunch? What have you been doing all morning? I've been talking with the father about what we're doing today. Getting a download. Getting this thing figured out and preparing the way for you guys. Don't worry. I have prayed for you. Satan has been asking to sift you like wheat, Peter, but don't worry. I have prayed for you this morning. I have taken care of you. Praise God that Jesus was up interceding for his disciples. And we know he is interceding for us even now. Matthew 14, 23, after he had seen them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Do you hear that? It's like, Lord, what are you doing? It's lunchtime. Uh, I'm going to go up on the mountain to pray. Well, for how long? I don't know. See you guys in a bit. He goes up on the mountain to pray. The text says evening came. The sun goes down. He's still up there. Is he okay? Like a bear come and like eat him or something? We better go check on him. They go run up the mountain. Lord, are you there? Yes, Peter. What do you need? I'm talking to the father. Well, I just want to know if you're coming home for dinner. Yes, I'll be home for dinner. Don't worry, I prayed for you again. Luke 15, 16, he went frequently and withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Luke 5, 16. Luke 6, 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. Never forget when we were running the college ministry at Harvest, these young people, man, were in our early 20s. And we thought we were all radical for the Lord. I'm like, I know something radical. I'm like, you young people like to stay up all night anyway, so why don't we stay up all night and pray? They're like, what? Yeah, we had like three or 400 kids. And I challenged them. And we call it war, W-A-R, waging a revolution. And we would start at 11 p.m. And we would pray until 6 in the morning. And I would challenge them that Friday night. 
I'm like, what are you going to do tonight anyways? You're going to go get some tacos? You're going to go hang out until like 12 or 1 in the morning? Then you're going to crash out? Why don't you stay and pray all night? Why don't you challenge your spirituality for just a second and see if you're hungry enough to pray for a night? What would they do? 200, 250 kids show up, 11, 11 o'clock. We would worship. We partake of communion. And then we would start praying. And we would read scripture, and we would worship and pray all night. It was one of those powerful times. Challenge them to pray all night. Jesus did it. The early church did it. And I know, if I even say to you right now, Legacy, we're doing an all night of prayer. 10% of you show up. 10%. Because we're busy, and we're overwhelmed, and we have all this stuff to do. But it is a testament. It is declaring. It is revealing of how much chaos is going on around us to which we, are, we neglect prayer and we can't get away with the Father. If I ever set up a special event, I let you prepare for three months. I guarantee maybe I could squeeze 20%. Because that week when it starts to come and it's going to happen on that Friday, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to show up. Come on, let's go. What happened? Oh, I can't do it. I got this going on tomorrow and I got that and I got this and I got that. Peter, can't you pray for me one hour? One hour. You see, we can find one hour to do all kinds of things in life. I like going to gym, gym for an hour. That's easy. Knock that out easy. Pray for an hour. Well, I got other things to do. It's revealing. The disciples saw him retreat to pray all the time and must have thought, how does the Lord pray? How does he do this? What does he talk about the whole time? He's gone all night. Our prayers are so short. They wanted to know the Father in the same way Jesus did, and that is why they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say this. Notice, the disciples did not ask Jesus how to do miracles. Lord, teach me that magic trick. How'd you do that water to wine thing? That was so dope. Show me how to do that. Now, can you do that walking on water thing again? I was kind of bummed that Peter was the only one to get out of the boat. Can we do that trick again? I want to do it too. No? The only thing we see specifically recorded in which they asked Jesus to teach them, and then he actually taught them how to do it. Line by line is to pray. Could it be that the secret sauce to Jesus' ministry is prayer? Watch this, the four Ps. Are you ready? Four Ps. Prayer in private gives you power in public. Prayer in private gives you power in public. The reason you're empty inside is because you're not communing with the God who made you. It's found in a time of prayer. It's refreshing. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Has anybody ever stood up from a time of prayer with God and said, man, that was the worst thing I ever did. Should have not done that. All that time was so wasted. No. I said, why do I feel refreshed? Man, I needed that. Wow, I feel spiritually revived. I communed with the God who made me. All of these things, they could have asked Jesus to teach them. And the one thing they want to learn, his secret, is what are you doing when you go away all the time into the wilderness to pray? What are you doing out there? Could you give us a little hint? Could you give us a What's your secret? And so he tells them. Jesus was fully God and fully human, fully man. And he prayed to teach us to set the example to show us humans what it looks like to live in relationship with our Father. So Jesus teaches his guys how to pray. And we also need to be taught how to pray, what to pray, just like the disciples, because we don't know. So let's take a look. Jesus said, don't pray like this, verse 7. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, like the Pharisees do. Don't make up a bunch of ramble. 
Don't just start making up a bunch of fluffy words to sound all holy and stuff. Don't do that. He says, pray and talk to your father. Spend time with him. Don't pray to impress people. Pray to impress God. Pray to be with your father. Talk to him. Verse 9, then he says, pray like this. Pray then like this. Notice he doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray then like this. Very important. Pray in this manner. This prayer contains principles for all that we need to pray, just like all of this sermon on the mount. We see principles, not a law. Nothing is left out in prayer. It is the complete prayer, but they are principles. Jesus didn't repeat this prayer all night when he prayed. Jesus didn't repeat it all. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't repeat this over and over and over. Notice in John 17, his high priestly prayer. Very elaborate, very extensive, as he spoke with the Father. So is it a sin to pray this prayer word for word verbatim? No. Not, not if it is truly spoken to God from the heart and mind. It's when we have vain repetition, that the mind is not connected to the heart, that now we are losing connection with God. So no vain repetition. When I do funerals, because I know there are a lot of believers and non-believers in the crowd at funerals, I will have the crowd pray this prayer at the, e at the end. I'll have them pray it together. I'll say, let's pray this prayer together. And they're like, what prayer? Oh no, he's going to do a prayer. And then I say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And everybody joins in. And they feel refreshed by it. So it is not sinful to pray this in repetition. It's bad to pray it in vain repetition. But Jesus does not say pray this prayer. He says pray like this then. So let's break it down. What do you say? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is the first part of this prayer. Point number one, if you're taking notes, realize who you're talking to. Realize who you are talking to. Our Father. Only a Christian can truly pray this. Our Father. In this single confession, in a true prayer, as you say, Our Father, all of your heart has already said everything to your God. Did you know that? He knows what you need. He is your Father. When a child says, Dad, Papa, Daddy, Abba, there is a deep connection and deep understanding between the parent and the child. Mommy, she probably already knows what the child needs. With the inflection in the voice and the tone, the parent can also tell generally what is going on. Is it in panic? Is it in joy? Is it just asking for something? The opening statement reveals your position before God, religious or relationship. Is it religion or is it relationship? Is it formal distant or is it family? This opening statement reveals our position before God. Love what Lloyd-Jones had to say about this. He says the greatest spiritual teacher throughout the centuries called this opening statement the recollection, a pause. As you open in prayer and realize you are speaking with, Joan says, there is a sense in which every, every man, when he begins to pray to God, should put his hand upon his mouth and stop. It's that moment. If you walked up on the top of one of these mountains and stood by yourself, no one else around, you looked at the heavens, say, God, Father, are you there? You pause and wait. The psalmist would say, be still and know that I am God. That moment where the body and the mind and the heart realize that you're speaking to the creator of the universe. Our Father in heaven, reminding ourselves who we're talking to, just so happens to own all of heaven and all of the universe, the creator. It is the moment to stop and realize his majesty and be in awe of who you are talking to and meeting with. It's almighty God. 
And really those are the best times when you actually have time set aside to go and spend time with God because you can actually pause and stop and recognize who you're talking with. See, so many times they're praying with other people or praying for a meal. It's like, Lord, thanks so much for this food. Amen. All right, let's feast. And it's more of a, it's a remembrance that God has provided for us and taken care of us and blessed us with this meal. But there really is no opportunity even to acknowledge what's, who you're talking to and what's going on. 1 Peter 1.17, remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. You know that we're all, as Christians, foreigners on this earth. This is not our home. We are citizens of heaven. And we're just hanging out in this land for a little time, a little dash on earth, that little line between two dates on your tombstone, that little dash. That's your time here. It goes by really quickly, doesn't it? And then we're off for a very long time. How long is eternity? Have you ever calculated it? It's like 100 years times a 1,000 years times a million years times a billion years times a trillion years times a 100 trillion years times a zillion years. And that's just the beginning of eternity now, isn't it? Because eternity is forever. And here we are with our little 70, 80, 90, 100 years over here, all worried. We have to realize we are just foreigners in this land. And we are here to minister and love and serve people and love and serve our God. And he will redeem this place. And he will make it right one day. And we will dwell here with him for eternity in heaven. Point number two, if you're taking notes, give God glory and honor. So first, hallowed be your name or holy is your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Acknowledging our Father, then giving him glory and honor. This is the balance. While it is great that we can approach the Lord anytime because of the work of Jesus, we being his children, we can approach our Father anytime. We must also recognize that our Father, watch this, we can come to him as a child, but we must remember that our Father is also a king, a great king. And we are to give him that honor. He is to be treated as one. He is holy and perfect. No one can even stand in his presence unless he allows it. He is infinitely great, and nothing in creation is worthy to stand before him. He is the great king and lord over the universe. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. They will sing holy, holy, holy. The choir will sing holy, holy, holy forever and eternity to his name, chanting his greatness for who he is. And here we are strolling in like teenagers into God's office, acting like we own the joint sometimes kicking our feet up up on his desk. Hey, Dad, how's it going? Dad's my homeboy. No, I'm not. I am the king of the universe, and I've adopted you as a son. And you can come boldly into my office, my room, my throne, anytime you want because you are my son, and you are part of my family. Sometimes we have such looseness in Christianity like we're slapping it up with the Father that there's no reverence for Almighty God. We find ourselves running amok on the streets. God says, what are you doing? You're my son. You're my child. You don't, we don't do that. It's a privilege and blessing to know our God and be close to Him, that He would be so gracious to let us come close to Him as His children because of the work of Jesus why does Jesus say, holy is your name? Why doesn't he just say the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh? It is because one thing the Jews had very right for thousands of years is they would never say the name of God out of reverence for him. Did you know that? The Jews still to this day, do you know what they call God? Hashem. Hashem means the name. 
Baruch Hashem Adonai. You've heard this before. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord God. Blessed be God. Thank God. Hashem, again, is the name. It is used to refer to God when avoiding God's more formal title, Adonai, my master. He is the master. He is the king. This is where we should couple the reverence of God with the fact that he is also our father who we can come and talk with. We need the balance. And that's what Jesus is doing here in the prayer. Where is our reverence and healthy fear of God in the church in this nation? It doesn't seem like it's there very much anymore. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're like, give me, give me a bucket full of wisdom. Step one, are you ready? Fear the Lord. Fear him. Understand who he is. What is healthy fear? You know, there's such thing as healthy fear. Healthy fear is when you see a bear stroll up right here in the bushes, and we are nervous about that bear. That is healthy fear. You should be in fear of the bear. If somebody goes up and tries to feed him a piece of salmon, you're an idiot. You're going to be lunch. There should be healthy fear, and we've, we've lost this in our society because people have abused fear. They use it to control. They use it to hammer people. They use it to hurt people. And so we don't have a good, healthy balance of it. There should be a healthy balance of fear even of our Father. Not one of abuse. Not one of manipulation. Not at all. But one of, hey, I fear and respect my dad. I honor him. He's, he's led our family. I fear and respect my mom. I honor her. I don't disrespect her. This is important. It's a healthy fear. We need this in the church with our Father. Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell, Jesus says. Psalm 33, 8, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Crazy thing is those who are like sloppy in their walk with God and just like, whatever, you know, just walk acting like there is, you know, nothing that God is going to say or do. Oh, it will be a magical moment in eternity when the whole universe comes and bows down before the Almighty King. And that dude standing over there just like goofing off in the corner like, oh, where's God? What's going on? Hello? Excuse me. The whole universe is bowing down to God. Don't you see? Oh, I'm sorry. You're not welcome here. That's why. You didn't realize who the King of Kings was. You're goofing around on earth acting as if you had a relationship with him. You didn't even know him. So when we pray, we pause and realize who we are talking to. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Give him the glory and honor he deserves. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes. Point number three, if you're taking notes, praying his will. When Jesus is telling us to pray, your kingdom come, he is telling us to pray in hope and in light of the future. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we were to go on vacation to heaven for a little while, wouldn't that be amazing? Everybody got their ticket? We're going to heaven. Where are you guys going? We're going to the west side of heaven for a little while. We're going to relax for a couple weeks. It's going to be magical. We're stoked. We'll be back in a little bit. We all go to heaven, and we experience the culture of God. We come down to the earth, and we say, what are you guys doing? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to bring the culture of heaven to the earth. Everyone is loving and worshiping God. Everybody is loving and serving each other. No hating and hurting each other. This is the culture of heaven. Jesus is saying that the kingdom that God will ultimately establish on the earth. Do you know what heaven is? When we refer to eternity, heaven is actually this earth redeemed. Notice the Bible is wrapped around one center point, one center moment in the entire span of history. Do you remember what it is? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is Easter, which we will celebrate here in about a month. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of the Bible. Notice resurrection. God is redeeming and resurrecting all things. This earth is broken. People are broken. Culture is broken. And God is resurrecting it, redeeming it. And God will one day resurrect this earth. This is its broken state. Stuff dies. But can you imagine if these trees just live forever? Can you imagine if plants and animals just live forever? They never died. Nothing decayed. You know how beautiful this place would be? That is eternity. And it is not just a beautiful place, but it's beautiful people loving and serving each other the way God had made it to be back in the Garden of Eden. And so we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. We are praying that God will bring his kingdom on earth. We also know that he can bring his kingdom now through us. We are experiencing a relationship with God and experiencing his culture and experiencing a bit of his kingdom as he is king. Thus, we can permeate the culture around us with a bit of his culture, which is in heaven. What does it look like? It's being generous to people. It's being kind and gentle to people. It's being patient with people. It's walking in truth and righteousness. And when you do that, sometimes people here in L.A. are shocked by it, you know? You ever do something for somebody and they realize you just did it for them and you don't want anything in return? They're looking at you like, what planet are you from? You're like, heaven. We have a different culture, a different way. Why are you being nice? Why would you bless me like that? Because I want to, because my king has blessed me greatly. It is my joy to love and serve other human beings and to lift them up above myself, to humble myself. Why? Because Christ my King has humbled himself for my sake. How can I not walk in this way? We know the current God of this world is Satan. The world is in darkness. So how is the kingdom of God at hand? Jesus has come into the darkness and already conquered death and sin and the devil in his resurrection. We know who wins at the end. And people are being saved out of darkness into his marvelous light. The glory of God is shining through his people on the earth. His kingdom is being shown through the way that we live. We are citizens, again, of another country, another kingdom. And we are here now living out the kingdom of God as we serve our God and worship him and live on the earth as is in heaven. We pray with these things in mind. When we are doing this, we are praying his ultimate will in every situation. Your kingdom come, we pray. We look and we hope and we wait and it bleeds into this idea. Your will be done on earth. What does it look like to live out God's will and kingdom? Living on earth the way it is in heaven? Listen, family. It's in your workplace. It's in your marriage. It's in your family. It's in your ministry. It's in your finances. It's with your friends. It's in your hobbies. It's in everything we do. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. What does his word say in that context? How am I to be living? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In my life, on earth, right now, in my workplace, on earth as it is in heaven. I dare you to pray about these specific areas of your life and say, Father, your will be done in this area. Your will be done in this part of my life. Jesus is saying, pray for God's will and not your own. Do you remember Jesus prayed this himself? Not my will, but yours be done, he prayed in the Garden of Eden. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me as he was about to go to the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I remember a friend from high school who was an atheist at the time. He's actually, uh, he goes to church now, pretty cool. Um, but he was, uh, he was one of my linemen. And... Uh, <laughs> And I played football, and he was one of my linemen. And uh, I remember him saying to me that he had read an article and a statistic that God only answered prayers a certain percentage of time. He's like, so what do you make of that? And I'm like, what? I said, God always answers prayers. Just because the answer to your prayer is no doesn't mean he didn't answer you. He did. He said no. 
I have since discovered that God has three general answers to our prayers. You know what they are? Yes, no, and wait. Why do we think that we get to tell God what to do like he's our butler or some genie? I got three wishes, God. Are you ready? I want that Ferrari over there. Give me that Ferrari in Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen. Uh, no. <laughs> Why not? Because that's not my will for you. What if it is his will for you? What are you going to do with that thing? How are you going to use it for God's glory? Is it bad to pray for these things? No, you can pray for whatever you want, but be ready for God to say no. And be ready for God to say yes. And be ready for God to say wait. How long, oh Lord? How long? Please, God, please. It's going to be a little while. Heard that story. You remember that story? That guy who walked up to God and he's like, hey, God, is like a penny like a million bucks to you? He's like, yeah, pennies like a million bucks. A million bucks is like a penny. I own it all. Everything belongs to me. So, yeah, a penny's like a million bucks. He's like, well, God is like a, is a second like a million years to you? He's like, yeah, I'm outside of time. A second is like a million years. A million years is like a second to me. And so... Well, he thought he had God. He's like, well, Lord, hey, uh, can I have a penny? <laughs> God's like, just a second. <laughs> Come on. Are you, get, you get it on the way out. Come on. Yes, no, and wait. Listen, God's timing is perfect timing. He's never early and he's never late. He's always on time. And I promise you this, you want God's timing. You try to force something, you end up kicking yourself. Like, why did I try to put, why did I have to make that happen? Why couldn't I just wait on the Lord? I don't want my way anymore. I'm telling you. I have forced things my way many times in life, and what I'm learning long-term is I don't want it my way because it doesn't turn out right. I need God's will and God's way. Even when I see a storm, or even when I see something difficult, and I want to muscle something a certain direction, I know that Father knows best. My God knows what's best for me. And his timing is perfect. His plans are perfect. He doesn't fail. He doesn't mess up. So the best thing you could ever pray is not my will, but yours be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. Whatever you want, Father, I trust you. You can't say that to everybody, but you can definitely say it to God. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Point number four, if you're taking notes, pray for daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice Jesus didn't open with this principle. The Lord is more concerned about us coming to him as Father, seeing who we are, approaching, giving him glory, then praying his will, aligning ourselves with him. Then we ask according to his will for our needs. This is key. Notice we are not praying our wants, but our daily bread. We bring God our wants all the time, huh? Lord, uh, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And here's your little tip. Stick a gum. Carry on. You see, notice we are not to be praying our wants up front, but for our daily bread. You can pray for what you want. I do. But we should first be praying for our needs and acknowledging what God wants. You see, bread was the foundational piece of life in that culture. They had bread with every meal. You ever go to Europe? There's like bread on every corner. It's like bread shops everywhere. You're just like, okay, there's bread. You see people walking around with a big loaf of bread, just walking and eating it. This is what they do. But it's perfect, beautiful, organic, farm-grown bread right down the street and baked by grandma just last night, and it's so tasty, or this morning, and it's so tasty. It feels like you almost ate nothing. Stuff is so good. But this is, they didn't eat meat every single day. Meat was a special thing that they were able to meet when it happened. But bread was and still is a very basic food for survival. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this word in the prayer. Jesus is encouraging us to seek our Father for bread daily. 
the very the essential seek him it also says notice daily give us this day our what daily bread not tomorrow's bread daily bread today's bread tell him all you need and of course he will take care of you i love this luke chapter 11 if you want to write it down this text is amazing luke chapter 11 verse 5 to 10 then jesus teaching them about prayer he used a story he says this suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanted to borrow three loaves of bread and you say to him a friend of mine has come into town and just arrived to visit i have nothing for him to eat and suppose he calls out from his bedroom don't bother me it's midnight the door is locked for the night my family and i are on bed i can't help you but i tell you this though you won't do it for a friendship's sake because it's 12 midnight and everybody's asleep if you keep knocking long enough jesus says he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence jesus uses this word shameless persistence i love it you walk over like bang 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 you hit the nest doorbell right your face comes up dude it's me i need some bread my friends came into town i don't have any food he's like go to bed no i'm serious bing, ding dong you know i'm serious i need some bread he's like i said go to bed my wife's gonna scream at me stop that and you just keep ringing that bell and you keep ringing that bell even if 20 minutes goes by you keep ringing that bell what's your friend gonna do he's gonna get up and get you some bread jesus highlights for some reason in this parable persistence to almighty god shameless persistence to the father going to him over and over and over again why i believe that in going to god over and over i notice my prayers slightly start to change lord give me that red ferrari man i want to need that thing i want that thing lord Help me get a vehicle, Lord. I would love a vehicle. Uh, let's go. Let's go this style. Lord, I would just like to get from here to there. Can you help me get there? I need to get there every single day. And all of a sudden, we discover our prayers finally aligning with the Father's desires. Interesting. Prayer is not you giving orders to God. Prayer is God giving orders to you. Your heart's changed. Your mind has changed. Mine is all the time. Lord, crush that person for hurting me. I hate them. Tear them down. Destroy them in Jesus' name. Amen. That was, uh, that was a bad prayer. Okay, Lord, uh, Lord, please, please help them. Lord, please uh, help the relationship. It's been a terrible one. As a, uh, Lord, help my heart. Gosh, I'm, I'm such an angry person. Why am I so mad at them? Lord, change my heart. Lord, you tell me to pray for my enemies and bless those who curse you. Lord, please, I pray that you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Wow. The mind has changed. The more that we go to the Father, that persistence starts to align us with our Father. You see it with children, though, don't you? That constant relationship with parents, and slowly they are changed in that persistence. Seeking God daily, not weekly, not every other day, Seek God for your daily bread. Remember manna in the Old Testament? Do you remember manna? Manna was the stuff. It was heavenly bread that would fall from heaven upon Moses and the children of Israel when they were in the desert. They were starving. We need food. God's like, okay, I'm going to rain snow down from heaven, but it's actually going to be bread. It's called manna, and the, Hebrew, the, the, the word, the translation for manna means this. What is it? Because they didn't know. It's what is it is the translation. So they called it what is it. What is it is showing up. You know what they did the first couple weeks? They tried to store up jars and jars of manna. But you know what happened every single day when they woke up the next day to check their jars? There were maggots in it. God said to them, I will rain down manna every single day while you are in the wilderness i will take care of you i will provide for you you're not going to go without and of course they were nervous 
And so they would store up and store up and store up in the pots, but there were always maggots in it. And what was God declaring to them? He was saying, stop trusting in your storage of the future. But trust in my daily provision. Jesus would say, give us this day our daily bread. Go to him today. Ask him to provide. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Point number five, you're taking notes. Ask for forgiveness and confess sin. Ask for forgiveness and confess sin. Is this saying God won't forgive us if we don't forgive others? No. The idea is because we have been forgiven by God, we will forgive our debtors. Not God will forgive us if we forgive others. Because we have tasted of God's forgiveness as his children, as his people, we gladly pour it upon other people. We didn't deserve to be forgiven, yet we have been forgiven, and so we get to pour forgiveness on others. The best thing that could ever happen in your prayer is this. Dealing with sin, dealing with forgiveness is this. When you are confessing your sin before God, you discover that it is wrong and that much more wrong and it has hurt your life and it's hurting other people's lives around you. It's important for you to agree with God that what you are doing is wrong. But number two, it's to realize how much you've been forgiven. When you're in that moment, you're on your knees, you're begging God, forgive me of my sin, and you realize how much God has forgiven you. How many times have you broken those spiritual laws? How many times have you rebelled against the Father? And he's forgiven you over and over and over and over and over again. And here you are coming to him again. Lord, forgive me of that sin again. And what does he say? Forgiven. Forgotten. I love you. You're my child. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. Forgiven again. You say, God, how can you do this? An amazing verse, Luke 7, 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The one who is forgiven of much loves much. The one who is forgiven... Of all this sin and can see it, they are the ones who love God even that much more because they see their sin. You know what the truth is? We all got a full bank account of sin. Everybody is in debt to God in sin. Everybody. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We need his forgiveness. And then we go to him in prayer we ask for forgiveness, and it leads us then to forgive others in prayer. Look at verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Point number six, pray against sin for protection. Pray against sin and for protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We are in a war, and we need to seek the general for protection, our king for strength. Listen, family, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We need the Lord to keep us from temptation and deliver us from evil. I can't do it. Again, you can't do it either. You had your chance to prove it already, and you can't do it. We've all failed. We need God. So we know we need the Lord to help us. So call on him to deliver you daily. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I am telling you, there is always an open door of escape. We need to pray daily, God, keep me from temptation. Deliver us from evil. We need this because we can't do it on our own. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I believe as we pray against the sin in our lives, we are actually strengthening our spirit to win in the battles of temptation. If you feed the flesh, you will lose in temptation. If you feed the Spirit in seeking God, reading the Word, praying, you will not gratify the desires of flesh and you will win in temptation. The picture of two dogs. Two dogs, one is the flesh 
and one is the Spirit. Watch this. Whichever one you feed the most, when they get into a fight, that one's going to win. You feed the flesh all the time. You keep feeding the flesh. You keep feeding the flesh. And temptation comes. Guess which dog's going to win? That dog is going to pummel the spirit. You're like, man, I can't get away from temptation. It's because you don't feed the spirit. Feed the spirit. Feed the spirit. Feed the spirit. And that dog, when it comes into a fight with the flesh of temptation, it will pummel the flesh and you will, be, you will succeed. Depending on God. God and God alone can deliver us from evil. He has the power. We must seek the one who has the control. If you're struggling in a certain area, why don't you start seeking the Lord about it every day in prayer? I dare you. Every day. Just go to the Lord. Lord, keep me from temptation. Deliver me from evil in this area of my life. I dare you to memorize some scripture about that specific sin and how to overcome it. Some encouraging scripture. And then quote it to yourself in your time of temptation. Quote that scripture to yourself in that time of temptation. It's powerful. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted. Remember? In the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil. And what did he do? He quoted scripture. This is the key. Finally, then pray in that moment for God to help you and overcome it. And you will. Finally, we get to give thanks and praise to God, number seven. Some translations leave this out and others don't. I love it left in for sure. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Whether it is in the text or not, it is appropriate and it is a beautiful doxology. The blessing of God for him even listening to us, blessing him for all he is doing, praising our God because he is great. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It all belongs to you. Amen. First Timothy 1.17, under the king eternal, under the king immortal, under the king invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever. That's scripture worship. Revelation 4.11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. Family, Jesus has paid the price for our sin on the cross so that we can be completely forgiven of our sin and come close to a holy God, our Father and King. And that's what he did on the cross. That's why he died, so that you can go to your God anytime you want. You can spend time with him in prayer. It's the most powerful thing you can do in your life. Prayer in private will give you power in public. I promise you that. And so we're going to close in prayer reflecting on that, asking God to be given all glory and honor and power and praise. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Father, we bless you, we honor you, we lift you up now, we thank you for being such a good, gracious, patient king with us. Lord, we ask that you would work in our lives, that you would transform us, that you would change us to the image of your Son, according to your will. God, would we be a people who reflect you. Father, we want to bear your image. We want other people in this city, when they come in contact with us, say, man, why do you love like that? You're different. Lord, would they see you in us? Lord, we have many needs. We have many things going on inside our hearts. We need daily bread for today, Sunday. Would you take care of us? Would you provide for us? We trust you. And Lord, would you forgive us of all of our sin? Forgive us of all the dark places that we have chosen to go. Whether it be in pride. Whether it be in Areas that we have fallen in over and over and over again and we want to get away from. Father, keep us from temptation. Put a hedge of protection against the evil of this city around us. We ask that you would use us for your glory, for your honor and your glory forever and ever.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.